If you have your Bible with you or a phone with the Bible on it, I would invite you to open Acts chapter um, 6 into 7, predominantly 7. Um, several weeks ago, and this intro will sound very similar to last week, but just trying to kind of catch everybody as we kind of come back into services post-New Year. Um, but we began a series two weeks ago. This is the week three, born out of Acts chapter 6 and 7. And it's this incredible moment in the early church's history, and it's a picture of what happens when people who know better um, completely lose track of what God is doing in his world. And just by way of quick review, um, in Acts chapter 6-7, we are introduced to a guy named Stephen. We don't know a lot about him at all until this moment in time, but we know right away that Stephen is a guy who is facing a tremendous amount of pressure. The religious leaders of the day, they have completely missed the mark. They have completely lost track of God's activity in the world. And now Stephen is before them under pressure. Stephen is the one, just like Jesus before him, is facing opposition from the members of the synagogue. And the synagogue has employed very familiar tactics on Stephen's life. It's the very tactic that they used on Jesus' life. They persuade some people inside their own system to create false stories and false allegations. The Sanhedrin gathers together to hear these false allegations that they themselves have orchestrated and now are placing over Stephen himself. And they ask him, after they hear all these false accusations that they have in fact created themselves, they ask him, are these charges true? The text never says it, but I bet my life that Stephen understands what is unfolding in this moment. He knows the agenda of the Sanhedrin. He understands that anything short of him renouncing his faith or anything short of him basically saying, I, I got it all wrong, Jesus isn't the Messiah, anything short of this is going to land him in a lot of trouble, perhaps even death. Instead of recanting and walking away from the statements that he has made, he doubles down and he launches into a sermon where he speaks rather firmly to the Jewish leadership. Where he basically says, through it all, you've, you've missed the whole story. You've missed all the activity of God in the world. You're blind and you're stubborn and a host of other things are kind of woven into this particular response. From now through till Easter Sunday morning, we're going to be working through this sermon in Acts chapter 7. Highlighting individuals in this particular sermon that Stephen mentions. How these people have missed the plot in one way or another. How you and I, if we're not careful, can miss the plot. We're going to be looking at Stephen's life and how in Stephen we see a faith that in a wonderful way is like enviable, like what is it that is about Stephen's faith that allows him to stand up under immense pressure and speak truth regardless of what's going to come his way. And we are going to work our way through this. So as we jump in this morning, I would like you to find kind of Acts 7, 7 and 8. This is the text that we're going to be highlighting this morning, we dealt with the first six last week, and we'll pick it up in the sermon, and it's on the screen, and I'll read it, and you can follow along, whether on the screen or in your Bible, and then he goes on to say, then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac, and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Again, this is Stephen just referencing history of God's action and activity throughout time. 
Every week we're going to look at it and see which particular name Stephen has highlighted. And on this particular day, he references Isaac. And similar to last week, and I'm not sure if you will remember it or not, but last week he dropped Abraham's name. And we asked the question, like, what is required to have a long view of faith similar to that of Abraham? And today we're going to do the same with Isaac. And there's all kinds of things that we could dig into around Isaac's life that would prompt the question, like, what is about Isaac that could lose the plot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're only going to highlight two of them, but there's lots of things that we could really reference around Isaac's life that if we're not careful, we could get absolutely lost in the story. But before we get there, I want to set the stage of Isaac, this particular character. For some of you, you'll know this story well. For others, this might be the very first time you've heard it. But Isaac is the one born of Abraham. And Abraham, as per the story last week, God comes to him and tells him, you're going to have a son. Well, the trouble is, when Abraham gets this news, he's already well into his life. He's somewhere around 80, 85 years old. And if you are that old, and you get the news that you're going to have a son, that could be met with mixed emotions, but in that time place, with great deal of joy, because like legacy is a big part of your family story. But time is running out, whether it's then or now. 86 is not 25. 86 is getting to the back end of your years on this earth. So he and his wife Sarah, they take matters into their own hands. Sarah comes up with the idea that maybe God's promise of us having a son is going to come to fruition if you sleep with Hagar, our servant girl, our slave girl. You can read this whole story in Genesis chapter 16, 17, and 21. But in Genesis 21, Isaac is in fact born. This whole story is loaded with drama, with sex, with tension, with unfaithfulness, with conflict, significant complexities now between the oldest and the youngest son. There are social norms and practices that are not at all being followed in the story. And woven in through this whole mess... God's promise of Isaac still comes to fruition. Jealousy rages on in the story. Sarah demands that Ishmael and Hagar be kicked out of the camp. And God's grace and provision even extends to them as they are in fact banished from the family. So again, in the name of Isaac, when you get into the story of Genesis 16, 17, 21, there are all kinds of moments and examples of where we could get lost in the story of God. But this morning, we will examine just two of them. And here's the first one. And this is directed at you this morning if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you're like, I'm not really sold yet on who this person of Jesus is, then you just sit back and kind of listen in because this is really directed at those of us who at some point in our life have made a decision to follow Christ. And it centers in in the story of of Isaac and Abraham and Ishmael, and it's in Genesis 16, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see it on the screen. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. We'll just hold that slide on the screen for a moment. So this is Sarah, Abram's wife, saying that God has kept children from her. 
go sleep with the slave Hagar, and perhaps I can build you this family through her. The ability to lose track of God's story really unfolds in this moment. And we can miss the plot quickly when we take matters into our own hands. We can just get completely outside of what God is trying to do in his world or my life when I try to take matters into my own hands. In many ways, you and I are just like Abraham and Sarah. We are quick to act, particularly in this time place. We are quick to move. We are quick to do something to bring about the things that God has spoken over our lives in one way or another. And if it's not for God's grace on their life, this would have been absolute ruin in every way. The heartache that they invited into their family, the trauma that all of them needlessly experienced, the turmoil that every single one of them went through, really is quite striking in the story. And it's all linked to their desire to hurry up what God was going to do through their lives. There's a story in the Gospels that Jesus speaks to that's very similar to this spirit of trying to hurry things up. And it's one of my favorite parables. It's in Luke chapter 13. And it speaks to our impatience sometimes in life. It speaks to our desire to hurry things along. It speaks to our desire that how our timetable often is the timetable that matters. And it's a story that if you get the players wrong in Luke 13, it is perhaps the worst parable in the world. But if you get the players right, it's a beautiful parable. And so often we are taught and trained that particular people hold particular offices in all the parables that Jesus tells. And and that's just not the case. In Luke chapter 13, there's a story that Jesus tells of a man who has a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who was taking care of the vineyard, For three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should we use the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then we'll cut it down. And so often we are trained in some wonderful ways to think that Jesus is always the owner of the vineyard. In this parable... That is not the case. Jesus is the one who's working on the tree. And you and I are the owner of the vineyard that comes to the tree that bears no fruit. For three years, we've waited for this thing. It's of no value. It's just taken up space. Let's cut it down. And Jesus says to the owner, whoa, 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 just a second now. Let me work on the roots. Let me work on the soil. Let me fertilize the ground that it's in. And we'll see if in a year's time, if there's fruit on the tree. And if then there's no fruit, then fine, we can... We can go forward and get rid of this. How often we want to cut things out of our life if it's taking longer than we think. How quick do we want to remove the thing that we want or that God has told us, but yet it's not coming into the kind of realization as quickly as we want it. This is a perfect picture of us wanting things on our timeline and what we will do to things if our demands are not met, even connected to the very things God has told us. We are quick to cut things down. We are quick to move on to the next thing. 
And when we are quick to move this way, we can easily find ourselves outside of the plot, outside of what God's doing in the world and in my life. Some questions for you to wrestle through this morning. How many of you, how many of, of us in the room, we are living versions of our life because we try to hurry things along? How many of you can look back through a window of your life and realize there was a lot of things that you invited into your life because you just moved too fast? How much turmoil have we lived through because we didn't let God work on the roots or the soil or fertilize the things in our life that we desperately wanted to bear fruit, but it wasn't happening fast enough? If God has given you a promise, if God says something to us through his word of something he will do, we cannot be the one who, like in the story of Abram and Sarah, who suggests, well, maybe, maybe God means that we would sleep with a slave girl. Or, or maybe we just cut it out of our life and move on quickly. We can get outside of God's activity fast when we try to take control of the timelines that God has in mind for our life. The second way that we can lose the plot, and this is directed at everybody. This first one was at those of us that have made decisions of faith. And this next one is directed really at everyone. everyone. And it's said it again in the story of Genesis chapter 17. Again, all in and around this person, Isaac, that Stephen drops in his sermon. Verse 20-21. As for Ishmael, so this is the son that Hagar has brought into the world after she slept with Abram at the request of Sarah. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. At this point, they are being basically kicked out of the family. Sarah is super jealous. Ishmael, the son, not hers, is getting a lot of attention. And now she puts the pressure on her husband to get rid of them. And Abram, because he doesn't want to deal with his wife anymore, is like, fine. We'll just banish them. And to banish them outside of the family is to basically say, your life is going to come to an end very, very quickly. So we pick up that story. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. This is God speaking. I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. So this is God affirming Hagar and the rest of the family. All right, you're going to kick them out, but I'm going to actually provide for them. I'm going to be the provision for them, and they're going to be fantastic. But 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. We can get outside of the plot of God quickly when we ignore the one in whom God has chosen to bring salvation into the world. We can get quickly outside of the story of God when we ignore and we push back against the very person that God himself has chosen to bring salvation into the world. In the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, there are two sons born, Ishmael and Isaac. Tensions are everywhere inside the family in this moment. And in the middle of it all, after they're kicked out of the family, God says to Hagar, I see you. He says to Ishmael, I hear you. There's a, 
incredible story of how personal God is, where, where Hagar's out, and they are walking through essentially the desert, and her son is dying, Ishmael, and she places Ishmael under this bush to get some shade from the sun as he dies. And the text reads, and God heard him crying. Fascinating that like sovereign Lord of the universe hears the boy who's been placed under the bushes to die as peacefully as he can, and there God hears him. And he says to the mom and he says to the boy, you're going to be fine. You're going to be a great nation, actually. But he says to the family, but the work that I'm doing, the salvation that I'm bringing, the one in whom will bless all peoples of the earth, Hagar, Ishmael, it's not going to be through your family line. It's going to be through this family. His name is Isaac. And here's the rub, and this is the tension that we live, particularly now in our time and place. We get really worked up that God has chosen one over another. It's offensive. We think it's unfair. Human beings are fantastic at being mad at someone who, out of love and mercy, has done something to save anything, but let alone save the world. And then they get mad at the one who, in fact, has made the choice to bring salvation into it. And we just miss God's activity in his world. This theme of God choosing people, well, it's all through the text. It's Isaac over Ishmael. It's Jacob over Esau. It's Joseph older, over his older brothers. It's Moses over Aaron. It's David over his brothers. It's the list goes on and on. God is always at work choosing a particular person to bring his salvation into this world. Romans 9, 11 through 15, is perhaps the most pointed passage in the whole of Scripture. I will have mercy on this one, but not on this one. I will act in this way, but not in this way. And he just goes all the way through how God chooses to bring salvation into his world. In the story of Isaac, perhaps better than any other story in the Scriptures, it reveals that God chooses to work out his plan of salvation in very specific and pointed ways. And Stephen, in this moment, as he's standing before the Sanhedrin, he is completely okay with God's choice. We'll come back to this in a moment. The Sanhedrin, in this moment, they are not okay with his choice. They are not okay that God has chosen Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. They're not fine with the fact that God has finally delivered on the very person they were waiting for. And they're deeply frustrated that Stephen is saying that this particular one Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, this is the one in whom God has chosen. And he traces it all the way back through all the people that God has chosen, and they completely miss it because they're frustrated that the version of that isn't what they wanted. It's to this world around us that finds us in a similar situation, and that God has made a choice. Salvation has come into the world. God's grace has been poured out on us through his son, Jesus Christ, God has shown this to be true by bringing his son back from the dead. God has told us multiple times through the text, this is my son, listen to him. He's told us multiple times in the text, this is my son, I've glorified him once, I've glorified him again. And for some in the room, we are very much like Stephen. We are completely satisfied and content with the one in whom God has chosen to, to be this and do this. We praise God for the fact that there is someone who has come into the world to redeem and set people free, we are completely content and celebrate the fact 
that God has ushered salvation into his world. And we are confident in this choice right to our death. And then there's others who are like the Sanhedrin. We're in fact angry at the fact that it's this one person, it's selective. It's too pointed. It's not fair enough that there's multiple names and people. Bitter that it requires some kind of response from our life. This person, they've just, they just missed it. They've missed God's activity in the world. In the final portion of this conversation, I want to circle back to Stephen for a moment. This series, we are highlighting how we can in fact miss the plot and miss these moments that God is doing in his world. But sometimes, uh, you know, this week particularly, getting ready for this morning, I'm like, but, but what about what Stephen is in this moment where there is a faith that has been developed that is significantly strong, that is significantly pointed. Yes and amen to the spaces that we can miss and those spaces of warning. But almost more than that, what is it that Stephen has done in his life that has got him to a place where I suspect few of us, few of us would make it that far? Like, make no mistake, when Stephen's here before the Sanhedrin, he would have received several warnings before. He would have felt some pressure long before the official trial. He would have run into some oppositions, and this is where a lot of us would tap out. Okay, I won't, be, I won't, I won't say that, I won't, I won't, I won't. And, and we would be nervous in that space. And here we get the glimpse of Stephen on full display in this high-pressure moment. What is it that he has done that out of faith God has created in him almost this sense of like, you will not be moved regardless of what is being said to you? Well, I believe wholeheartedly, Stephen, this faith that has been developed, is someone that has completely celebrated the fact that God is able to and does make free choices all of the time and is okay with God's free choices that he makes over the world and his own life. And he's completely satisfied of that reality all the time. If you want to develop a faith that's strong, you have to come to a place where you are completely comfortable with what God does in his own free and purposeful choices on the world that he has made. And if we are not comfortable with God and his ability to make his own free choices over his world to bring about the things that he desires for its good, you're never going to have a faith that ultimately is really strong. It's going to be a little breeze that kind of knocks you off the rail. And for some, they're like, oh, that's me. Like, I know that I'm, I have strong faith. Da, 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 da. And then you get into the, to the stories of where God has freely made choices and has asked things of people. Like Abram, the son that you've been waiting for, and Isaac. Now I want you to go kill him, Abraham. And Abraham reasons that somehow God will bring him back from the dead. So he takes him for a walk in the woods with some firewood and a torch. And Abraham, Isaac, I'm sure, is like, where are we going? Where are we going, Dad? And I'll tell you when we get there. Because chances are you're not going to want to walk with me as we walk our way through the woods. And Jacob, Jacob, your offspring, for the next 400 years, your offspring are going to be in Egypt, and there they're going to be mistreated in horrible, horrible ways. 
David, because you did this, your firstborn son is going to die. John the Baptist, we're going to leave you in prison and your life is going to be taken from you. How, how comfortable are you in the fact that God has the ability to make free and fair choices from his perspective over the world that he has made to bring salvation into it? As crazy as sounds, as crazy as this sounds, you and I, we will flourish in every way. Our faith will grow exceptionally deep when we submit to the fact and celebrate the reality that God is able and does make free choices over his world and my life for my benefit and for my gain, but would I trust him in this? Stephen understood this, and I want you to remember where Stephen is in the moment. Like He's not sitting in the lobby of a great hotel having a great feast. Stephen is completely aware of what's going to happen to him. And he's completely fine with it. Completely fine with it. I coach a girls team next door. It's curious. When a player of mine submits to the free choices that I have made for the role that they're going to play on the team, that player is going to flourish in every way. When that player is upset with and rages against the choices that I have made for her in the context of the greater team, that player won't grow as a player, and that player's whole season will be marked by frustration and anger and bitterness. Most of our lives, whether you realize this or not, are determined by the choices of others. Whether you realize it or not, they are determined by the choices of others. And the human being, never mind a faith perspective, if we live inside of some of those choices, we flourish. Don't speed. You don't have to worry about getting a speeding ticket. Don't do that. Like, there's all kinds of things. If you rage against some of those things, it creates a space of frustration, heartache, and anger in your life. This gets compounded all the more as God makes free choices over your life. Are you okay with what that might mean for you? Will you celebrate that this is what he might have in the cards for you? And all the way along, we get a, a glimpse of Stephen. He's like, I know where I'm headed. I have seen this before in the one in whom I serve. And now his life's on the line. And he stands firm all the way to the end. Stephen's faith is one that demonstrates this celebration of God's choice of Messiah in the world. And he is blessed beyond measure, right up to the moment of his death. And if you get to the end of the story, he's like, I'm seeing the one I'm going to be with in a matter of seconds. And his life comes to an end. Yes and amen to not getting lost in the plot. Yes and amen that we can sometimes kind of get mad at the whole choice that God has made. But more than the ways we can get lost, if you want to develop your faith well, if you want to grow strong through the course of your life, you have to come to a place where you are okay with the choices that God has made in His world and in your life. There are going to be some things, yes, that are the result of brokenness in the world. 
And God is at work in all of that. We sang songs that this morning. What the enemy meant for evil, God will turn and use for good. But there are things that God will purposefully bring into my life for my good, more importantly, for His glory. And if I am uncomfortable with the choices that He has made, my faith will never, ever truly grow. It will never truly mature to the space where I would be like a Stephen and stand firm under immense pressure. It's my prayer for you that you would spend some time, whether it be today or tomorrow or whatever it is, just working through the reality that God is at work. He is making choices free of His own heart, of His own will. And are you okay with all of that? If so, your faith is going to grow exceptionally fast and deep and strong. If not, your life is going to be marked by just raging against the machine your whole life. And it's one that's going to be very frail and very fragile. And not see how God will move and act in your life despite what He is bringing into it in one day or another. Would you pray with me? And then Petra and Van are going to come back and lead us in one more song. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, There are all kinds of ways in which we can lose track of your activity in the world. The scriptures are full of examples and stories and people who, for one reason or another, got bogged down in the details and just missed the mark altogether. And, and more than that warning of how we might lose the plot, it, it really is a heart's desire for me and I know for many here that our faith would just grow exponentially stronger and deeper. And a key aspect of that is that I would come to the space where I'm okay with the choices that you make in the world, but most importantly in my life. That if there's seasons that I'm walking through that I can't quite figure out what's happening, that I would not be the one to say, let's move on, let's cut it out, let's, let's get rid of this, let's take control of my own situation and move it forward unbeknownly inviting more harm and more devastation into my life. But I would just sit and wait and watch and see what God's doing at the roots of the tree, what God's doing in my life. If the goal is that I would be conformed to the image of my Creator, well, that, that image is formed best in the throes of difficulty, quite honestly. May we be a people that have a heart like Stephen, that refuse to move away from who you are and be completely satisfied and comfortable and celebrate the God who makes free choices of his world to bring about his plans and his time and his way. In your name we pray. Amen.